Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we will continue to respond to your questions. This is Special Topic Thursday, which is tailored to your questions. And the question that I wanted to take up this evening is a question about, more holistically, a book. Uh, I received a question some weeks ago about the book of Acts, and it was phrased this way, Joe, what are the most important verses from the Christian and Catholic perspective in the book of Acts? And I held off on responding to that question because I thought, you know, I might go through the, through the book of Acts, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized I probably would not do that, and if I did, it wouldn't be till months, months down the road. So yeah, I thought it'd be good to take a Thursday and to highlight a series of verses that might help us better appreciate our faith, just not apologetically. Certainly there's some important verses to be had apologetically, but also just as it concerns divine revelation. One thing we have to remember about the book of Acts, a book authored by Luke, who of course authored the Gospel of Luke, is that it is the first history book of our faith, right? If you were to go all the way back into the Old Testament and then into the New, there are 14 books that, if you were to read sequentially, really make up the narrative of salvation history. You have Genesis, uh, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Joshua, Judges, First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Maccabees, and then you have the Gospel of Luke, and then Acts. If you were to read those 14 books in sequence, you would have really the narrative of salvation history. So the book of Acts is really a history book, if you will. It is a history book in divine revelation. So certainly there's some very important inspired words for us to consider. In saying that, let us start considering some of those verses. I have selected five or six verses, and I say five or six because I don't know how many I'm going to be able to get through this evening. My hope is that we'll get through all six. Uh, a number of these really are in the opening chapters. The first series of verses I would like to consider are found in the opening chapter, and I think we would be best served if we read verses 15 to 26. So if you have your Bible out there, and if you want to turn to the book of Acts, I will go ahead and read chapter 1, verses 15 to 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the brethren, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who was guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
so that the field was called in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and his office let another take. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen, chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was enrolled with the eleven apostles. All right, so why talk about this? Well, if you're paying close attention, what did you hear but the fulfillment of a prophecy, more specifically, an office being filled. If you were to go back into verse 20, where we have a citation to the book of Psalms, we read, let his habitation become desolate and let there be no one to live in it. And his office, let another take. The Greek word there, my friends, for office is episkopoi. It is a Greek term that refers to a position of oversight. And it was also a term used in early Christianity for an Episcopal office or bishopric. In other words, it is the Greek term for bishop. So what we have here is the replacement of one apostle with another as this kind of repeated pattern for and in the Episcopal succession of bishops from the first century to the present day. Now, something should also be said about... Matthias. As we know, uh, one of the prerequisites, if you will, is that one of the chosen would have needed to know who Jesus was and to be a personal follower of Jesus. So um, Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias certainly fulfilled that prerequisite. Matthias's enrollment with the eleven reconstitutes what? But the original number of the twelve who represent the restored tribes of Israel gathered around the Messiah. Huh? Now for Luke, the main point of the election is to really recover the symbolic number 12, right? And that really we might grab hold of the significance of succession. Certainly as the, as the church grows, the number 12 expands. But again, this is about understanding an office being filled and the role of the apostle as the first bishop. Okay, what about the next important passage? Well, we don't have to go far, because I want to highlight Pentecost, which is, of course, in chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So here we will read the opening verses to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Going down to verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. So here again we have those verses that speak to the great event of Pentecost, the the birthday of the church, if you will. The sound of a mighty wind and this visible fire, what does that echo? But the loud and fiery descent of the Holy Spirit upon Mount Zion, when Yahweh descended upon Mount Sinai during, of course, the great Exodus narrative. I love when we read the New Testament, and it just not echoes the Old Testament, but as it does, it dramatizes the actual event. Verse 4, we read, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is the founding gift of the new covenant and really the soul that animates the body of Christ, the body of the Christian community. Now, what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. With the Father, we have love given. With the Son, we have love received. And in the Holy Spirit, you have love shared. The Holy Spirit directs the missionary uh, efforts of the church, guiding her leadership in truth and sanctifying her life in and through the sacraments of the church. So essentially, my friends, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you are talking about the protagonist of the very missionary life of the church. How about those words in verse 4, other tongues? What does other tongues echo? But the tragedy of Babel, right? Where God used multiple languages to confuse and, and scatter the family of men. So where once you had confusion and a disbursement, if you will, here you have the Holy Spirit using multiple languages to bring together the family of God. Isn't that interesting? Other tongues. All right, what about the next key verse for us as Christians to be paying attention to? Well, how about the first converts? Why don't you flip to chapter 2, verse 37? I will go ahead and read Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to, to 42. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to him. 
And he testified with many other words and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Isn't that beautiful? On that day were added 3,000 souls. Verse 42, And they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. So here, my friends, I read these verses because I want to highlight two things here. First of all, the expansion of the early church, a church that just started with 12, has now become, at the very least, 3,012, right? As 3,000 souls gave themselves to Jesus Christ. And amen to that. But pay close attention also to verse 42. And they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. Here we have, my friends, the essential actions of the church's uh, life shown forth in the believing community in Jerusalem. They held to the catechesis of the apostles, which of course was their teaching. They were steadfast in their interpersonal communion and support of one another, which is what but fellowship. We also see here the celebration of the Eucharist, the breaking of the bread, and how about the community praising and offering petitions, prayers. Thus, in every aspect of life, what you have revealed in this verse, this singular verse, is that the earliest believers were united as a what but family. They learned together, they lived together, they ate together, they worshiped together, and above all else, my friends, they prayed together. So here you have these first converts revealing to us what the church is all about, the church as a family of God. So very important verse there. How about uh, Peter healing a lame beggar? Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at that gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, Beautiful, capital B, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. I love that verse. Peter directed his gaze at him with John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but I give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and, and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him, and recognizing him as the one who sat for alms at the beautiful gate. Again, beautiful, capital B. This is the name of the gate, beautiful gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Wow. But let me first say this before we speak to the healing itself. 
Let us remember that Jesus gave them the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to do great things. We read this in the the opening verses of the book of Acts. The power of the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, the word for power is dynamua, right? It It is where we get the word dynamite. But what is this power? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in its actions is like dynamite, but a dynamite that is rooted in love. It is an explosive power that is rooted in love. So it is a power that heals, transforms. And it is the power in Peter and my dear friends. It is the power in you and I because we receive this power in baptism and confirmation. Brothers and sisters, the healing ministry of Jesus continues through the apostles. He has authorized to speak in his name, to heal in his name. If you were to go back into the prophet Isaiah 35, verse 6, and the prophet Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, the leaping of man who was once lame is a sign of what? But the messianic age. If you are versed in the Old Testament, and even specifically in the prophets of Isaiah and and Malachi, and you read this verse, you would be like, wow, the leaping of the man once lame, this, my friends, is a sign that the messianic age, behold, is suddenly upon us. And I love these series of verses because sometimes we can just focus on Jesus Christ himself. But what we have to come to understand and appreciate is that he came to establish a church and he gave power to this church to baptize and teach, to catechize and heal. And this is what we see, just not in these series of verses, my friends, but really all throughout the book of Acts. I highlight this one verse so that you might get a taste of what you will find all throughout the book of Acts. There are other healings in the book of Acts. All right, so we have those four verses in the first three chapters. What I want to do now is kind of fast forward to chapter 15, and I don't want to overlook everything that took place from chapters 4 to 14. Certainly, you have some great events. Um, In chapter 7, you have the arrest of Stephen, and his great speech before uh, his stoning to death, I might really encourage you to read chapter 7 carefully. Just come to appreciate the man who was Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian faith, the man who was stoned by Saul himself, of course, who we know as Paul. Read chapter 7 of the book of Acts carefully. And as you do, just sink into those verses and come to appreciate that narrative, which speaks so beautifully, just not to Stephen's great faith. But in chapter 7, you really have a kind of praise and hymn to salvation history. It's quite beautiful. And then, of course, in chapter 9, what do you have but Saul's conversion? His conversion is remarkable. That is another chapter, chapter 9 of the book of Acts, I would really encourage you to read. So like Stephen, that you would just come to appreciate what God was doing in the early church. I mean, Saul was the prized pupil of a man we read about in 
chapter 5 of the book of Acts, Rabbi Gamaliel, who was the rabbi of rabbis. It was said of Rabbi Gamaliel that when he died, the glory of the Torah died. I mean, listen to that. Wow. Essentially, what is being said there is he was so articulate and so full of wisdom that when he died, something was lost. Huh? Anyhow, that's relevant because Saul was his prized pupil. And this is the man who experiences this very dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. And so we're not going to get into all of that right now, but I just encourage you to, like chapter 7 with Stephen, carefully read chapter 9. That being said, I do want to touch upon what happens in Acts 15, the council at Jerusalem, because historically it is quintessential to the origin of our faith. So, if you want to flip forward to chapter 15, that would be great. Verse 1, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, reporting the conversion of the Gentiles, and they gave great joy to all the brethren. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to charge them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter rose and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, but cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you make trial of God by putting a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we shall be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly kept silence. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied. Now, why James here, my friends? Well, he was the first bishop of Jerusalem, okay? So he has authority in Jerusalem. So James replied, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, that of course is Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written. And here, James quotes the prophet Amos. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up that the rest of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Says the Lord who has made these things, 
known from of old. So here, my friends, James sees confirmation of Gentile conversions in the Greek Old Testament. Really, the opening line of James' extended quotation not only comes to us from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 12, but also Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 15, and Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21. They all envision Yahweh gathering the Gentiles into his covenant family in the Messianic age. Here I'm made to think about Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and following. That lone passage in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, where we read of the new covenant. When Jeremiah says, with the dawn of the messianic age, the law will no longer be written on stone, but inscribed upon the heart. You see, my friends, what was going on in chapter 15 in the book of Acts was about essentially the new law, right? The new law of the new covenant. Because in the new law of the new covenant, it was no, no longer about circumcision, that which was external, but now baptism, that which is internal. So the new covenant family was about baptism. And you entered into this new covenant family in and through baptism. This was the debate there in Acts 15. And oh, by the way, Gentile, Jew, and Greek alike, everyone was included. And take note of who spoke up in this council. You had Peter, Barnabas, Paul, and James, all men of great authority, right? All men of great authority. And really, they were speaking and debating who but members of the Sanhedrin, the, the Sadducees, the, the Pharisees, okay? Those members who were bound to the old law. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, not only do they speak up, but they do so quoting the Old Testament, reminding the Sanhedrin that something has been fulfilled. And duly take note <laughs> that Barnabas and Paul, when they were speaking, were talking about the wonders that God was doing among the Gentile people, right? They were talking about that because they wanted the Sanhedrin to know that the Gentiles now too also belong to the new covenant, this new family of God. Amen to that. Okay, so my dear friends, certainly there are other verses we could speak to, but I thought with the verses that we talked about, we really do have that foundation that is necessary. Now, yeah, some of this is apologetic, but also very relational. Right? I was very intentional in selecting these five passages because I want you to understand that the book of Acts, while it is a history book, it is a book that reveals how God worked in history. And that, of course, includes just not that which is reasonable, right, but that which is also caught up in faith because Revelation is always about just not reason, but faith and reason. Okay, all right, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.